Hello, how's it? And welcome to 3-Bit Design, where we break down some of the most influential games into the three bits that we think defined them the most. I'm Tristan. I'm Oliver. And today, we are talking about classic Pokemon. It is an exciting moment. Should we do like an acapella thing where I do a Pokemon theme song in the background and you you do the intro? Hey, yeah, go go ahead. (laughs) Just just hit... (laughs) You drop the beat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to fit in there, but that's great. <laughs> that's what I remember, the startup of the Game Boy. Game Freak thing. <laughs> anyway, we are, we are staying marvelously on track today, so bear with us, listener. Uh, reminder that there'll be spoilers ahead if you, for some reason, are listening to this and have never played uh, the original classic starting Pokemon games. What we like to do is introduce you to a little bit of details of what we're talking about, like where it comes from, where it's situated in the history of games or or the industry, and then we'll just pick out three areas of discussion that we think are really cool about this now collection of games, I suppose. Before we jump in, Oliver, any starting salvo? Um, I'll... I wanted to chat a bit about what your first Pokemon experience was, but we can do that after the, the intro. <gasps> That's so sweet. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, well, good. Yes, I, I'm going to prepare myself subconsciously for that <laughs> while we do the description. Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue are 1996 role-playing video games developed by Game Freak and published by Nintendo for the Game Boy. They're the first installments of the Pokemon video game series were first released in Japan in 96 as Pocket Monsters Red and Pocket Monsters Green, with the special edition Pocket Monsters Blue being released in Japan later of the same year. Then Pokemon Red and Blue uh, came to North America, Australia, and Europe. They combined Red, Green, and Blue for these releases outside of Japan. And then we get remakes of both Red and Green as Pokemon Fire Red and Pokemon Leaf Green, and those were released for the Game Boy Advance in 2004. Um, and I think for the purpose of today, we're going to be looking at any and all of these as <laughs> one entity to dissect. So if we pull references from a mixture of these games and possibly one or two later on in the series, it's kind of what Oliver and I, I think, have decided is it's grouped into this idea of the classic Pokemon, right? Yeah, primarily Gens 1 and 2. There we go. Leaning, potentially dipping into 3 and 4. there we go context the player in uh, these games controls the protagonist from an overhead perspective and navigates them through this fictional region of kanto uh, kanto in a quest to master pokemon battling the goal of the game is to become the champion the very best of the indigo league (laughs) by defeating the eight gym leaders and then the top four pokemon trainers in the land the elite four i remember playing this and going yay i've defeated all the gym leaders and then not registering that they've been (laughs) telling me about this elite four and suddenly going no there's now four more people to fight it's very interesting Uh, another objective in the game is to complete the pokedex an in-game encyclopedia by obtaining the 151 then available pokemon Both titles, Red and Blue, are independent of each other but feature the same plot, and while they could be played separately, it is necessary for players to trade between both games in order to obtain all of the original 151, which is genius game design in terms of Nintendo being able to sell more Mm. Game Boys, right? Because they use that 
game link cable and that connected the two systems. Yeah. Did you ever do that as a kid, Oliver? I did with, with Fire Red and Leaf Green. It came with like a attachment on the Game Boy Advance and so I traded cool. with my brother. Oh, that's so lovely. I yeah. remember exactly where I was when I discovered this because I got a Game Boy Color while we were overseas with family in Portugal. And I remember sitting down with a family friend's son and he had played Pokemon and had the cable. And I was like, what is this magic? <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, that was glorious. Anyway, Red and Blue were well received with critics praising the multiplayer options, especially this concept of the trading. And they're considered generally among the greatest games ever made, perennially ranked on top game lists, including at least four years on IGN's top 100 games of all time. The game's releases marked the beginning of what would become a multi-billion dollar franchise, jointly selling over 300 million copies worldwide. And in 2009, they were declared by IGN to be the best-selling RPG on the Game Boy and best-selling RPG of all time. The very best. (laughs) The very best. (laughs) They wanted Uh, to be the very best. They got there. Uh, that's the opening description. Oliver, you had questions. Yeah, I kind of wanted to chat a little bit um, to intro about uh, our first Pokemon experiences. Uh, mine was uh, I got a Game Boy Advance from for my communion uh, back when I was a religious man <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, in, uh, in like a Catholic school. Okay. And then uh, my uncle... Uh, yeah, my uncle bought me, me and my brother, a Game Boy Advance. Uh, and um, I don't think it, we had Pokemon straight away. But then from there, that was sort of our first foray into Nintendo. Um, and then from there, we got uh, Fire Red and Leaf Green. I got Fire Red. My brother got Leaf Green. Genius. And, yeah, and it was, I was in love. I mean, and, uh, you've, you've never looked back, right? I mean, you still play Pokemon like a lot to this day. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I, I still see. I don't know if it's because it's my fir- that was my first one, or it has like special emotional attachment to it. But I still see Fire Red and Leaf Green as as my favorites, as the best oh. Pokemon's. Uh, probably because of that nostalgia factor. But uh, but yeah, and then I I played Diamond and Pearl, and then I skipped a few generations, and then I got back into it more recently. Uh, with um, with the latest like Arceus and uh, Scarlet Violet and the one um, uh, the one set in the UK as well, uh, Sword and Shield. Yeah, I played those recently, and now I'm, now I'm fully in it again. Oh, that's so cool! Okay, so there was a little bit of a resurgence revival. Yeah, there was a bit of a, a time where I was, I guess, playing more mature games and not as many sort of Nintendo titles, uh, and then. Kind of when I when I started to get into the games industry, I I wanted to play more variety games and stuff, and I delved back into Pokemon. And I wouldn't say it's it's huge variety, but <laughs> but I am back hooked once again. Oh, marvelous! Mine is probably a less inspiring tale. I think I accessed it through the conventional means of television and the anime mm. series. I remember watching it for the first time, I think it was a Thursday or a Friday afternoon at one of my good friend's homes and this show came on and I was like, what is this? That boy is running through the woods and Pidgeys are attacking him. And what is this, a little electric mouse? Um, and it was just 
so enthralled and then discovered this juggernaut that was trundling through um, you know, the world and then that led me to this, to this, to that, that, and then this this defining holiday where I went and um, I think it was my mom's uh, very dear friends, like an aunt to me, who took us to a Toys R Us, which we'd never been to before. My sister and I were like 12. Mm. I don't remember ever going to a Toys R Us until this <laughs> moment, or at least one as big as this uh, in Portugal. And she just said, you have one thing, pick one thing you want. And I found the Game Boys and I was like, Pokemon, Silver, nice. let's go. Nice. Yeah. What was your starter? <laughs> <laughs> Always a good question. I I am trying to remember who is who are the starter Pokemon in Silver again? They're not the the Bulbasaur, Charmander, Squirtle. It's that no. the Cyndaquil and Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the ones. I think Trinko. Cyndaquil was my one, actually, because that's what I remember now. And oh, Chiquita yeah. or Chikorita or something. Oh yes, Chikorita. Mm. Yeah, Cyndaquil was my what is yours? You're starting for Fire Red. Uh, Charmander at the time, but um, now I definitely gravitate towards Squirtle these days. Mm, you strike yeah. me as a Squirtle. <laughs> <laughs> the war turtle with the shades in the anime. Can oh, play. yes. It's so much. I was just reading. We are so not in the structure of our episodes, <laughs> but thank you so much for being here, listener. Um, I was reading one of the articles we have as a, as a reference, which, by the way, if you're ever listening to this and want to know where we get some of the information we discuss we usually put a few links to the things that interested us for the episode but one of them uh, was sort of breaking down some of the design decisions all the way through making this game and i didn't realize that blastoise was not always the planned evolutionary end to squirtle and war turtle oh really did you know this no, I didn't. There were two separate things. So Blastoise had a sort of mini Blastoise starting thing, and Wartortle had an evolved version of it, just a bit bigger and a bit more Wartortle-y, and they just kind of fused them together, and that's why it seems so weird that suddenly this turtle has guns on its mm, back. <laughs> right. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah, random bit of information. Anyway, I've loved this opening so much. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we dive into the uh, explicit three bits. I think let's dive in. Woohoo! Let's crack this open. First bit, number one. We have Gotta Gacha Em All. <laughs> well done. Well uh, done on that one. <laughs> great great um, articulation on that one. Uh, yeah, so this first bit was kind of. Um, looking back on the Pokemon games, especially the the original ones, and thinking about it a bit more, what struck me, I, I was trying to kind of figure out what is what is the appeal with uh, collecting all the Pokemon, and because like the narrative isn't incredible, it's it's like pretty kind of like basic hero's journey almost, um, but. What's driving the game is often just like just the different types of Pokemon and catching them and and training them and evolving them and such. So so what is it that kind of hooks the player in that regard? And I and analyzing this, I kind of felt like it's relatively similar in a lot of ways to what is appealing to Gacha games, in the way the Pokemon were presented and and 
revealed and things like that. So I was wondering, I was kind of looking at this like, was Pokemon the original Gashage? Question mark. Um, other than kind of like the microtransaction that Gacha games come with, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so diving into this, uh, the first kind of notable thing is these Pokemon, they're not running around. It's probably due to the limitations of game development at the time, partially. But um, they're not running open in the wild. The Pokemon appear when you walk through the grass or through caves and such without um, any notable indication of of there being one in that specific patch of grass or something so you're kind of just uh going there wandering around not really sure if you're going to get something what you're going to get and what point so there's that anticipation and then when a pokemon jumps out from the grass you have that transition into battle which which is like Extra mysterious because it's like a silhouette that comes up for there's like a little grassy animation, I Who's think. Who's that Pokemon? Yeah, exactly. It's it's that whole thing where it's right. a little bit of a silhouette of the Pokemon that appears first before it kind of fades in to reveal which Pokemon it is. And so that whole anticipation thing is you see that in gacha games all the time where you kind of pull a draw and then there's the whole fanfare of the reveal of the capsule opening and I don't know, light light coming out and crazy sounds similar similar kind of jingles yeah yeah um until you kind of get the reveal and then i guess the star rarities and stuff like that similar in a lot of ways do you feel like the anticipation of this moment was lost in the later games where you physically see the pokemon in the world yeah i think so i do think so i i I can see why they did it and i feel like it's it's like growing the franchise toward more towards the new gen um where where because we're now in 3d space whereas like the original pokemon games were pixel art 2d um i think in the 3d space it makes more sense i guess to have them roaming around and and it kind of shows off the game engines and stuff a bit better um but yeah i do think i personally quite miss kind of having that mystery and Kind of the luck of the draw. It's like the original loot box in a way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> We're making some <laughs> big <laughs> controversial statements here. <laughs> Which is, but it was free, so that's good. It's great. Mm. Um, so it's not kind of like exploiting anyone. It's just, yeah. but I guess in on the other flip side of the coin, that's what kind of like leads into quite a bit of grind in those games. And if you're specifically looking for a certain Pokemon in the new games, you can look around and see if he's there. In these games, you're <laughs> you're just walking around until he pops up, you know. And and, and Jap- those kind of Japanese developed titles are, especially RPGs, are well known for extra long transitions and jingles <laughs> that you can't skip. So oh yeah, like I'm remembering the grindy. the early Final Fantasies, right? Where yeah, that would happen. Um, I have something on that, by the way. Uh, with Gacha, they use tables for that sort of stuff, right? It's tables and percentages of, yeah, of yeah, rarity, yeah. right? Yeah this lovely article that i discovered i was reading this whole thing it was really detailed and super interesting uh sort of a design analysis of pokemon and it spoke about how um rarity or the the possibility of 
finding and catching rare Pokemon is one of the um, ways that the game turns grinding from a chore into a new opportunity, right? And, and a reward. And mm. it was written by students of journalism at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. So <laughs> they have a, a, news, a student newspaper called the UWM Post. Uh, and this one article is by Jack Fennimore and just wonderful. I don't even know where they, they got this information, but did you know that f- Pikachu had a 5% chance of appearing in the Viridian Forest? Oh, wow. Like okay. that's that was rare, right? And <laughs> <laughs> like the excitement of finding that or finding an, an abra, and then you go, Oh my gosh, I never find an abra. And if your ball does not catch the abra, it runs away. And there's the sense of of rarity that I think uh, I don't know, like motivates us to go to continue that grind, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. And I think I think they still keep an essence of that with the whole shiny system, the shiny Pokemon. Oh yeah. Uh, hunt for the shinies. Like there's like a one in, I don't know, in the thousands chance of finding a ch- shiny Pokemon in, in, I think it's been there since the original games, but I can't, I can't be sure. But then in, it's especially a thing in kind of the modern games, they where the more in the more recent games, the more, you, the more you come across a, sh- a Pokemon that you want a shiny off, the more you battle, a Pokemon, that Pokemon, the odds of finding a shiny version of it um, becomes better. So, um, so yeah, they still have that grindy element for the people that love it in that sense, with like trying to chase down the shiny, um, while I guess diminishing the grind on on the day to day, going around catching Pokemon by sort of having them out in the wild. But yeah, so the original system, uh, a lot of mystery, a lot of anticipation, a lot of build-up. Um, definitely more effective the first couple of times if you're kind of looking for someone specific and uh, a Rattata keeps popping up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Rattata. <laughs> um, and then also lovely part of the fanfare is like uh, you got the shadow thing and then when, you pop, when they actually pop in, you have the screech of the Pokemon, which is like their... Their one kind of voice line in, in the original games, which was quite fun. Um, so yeah, and I think I think the kind of anticipation and the mystery of it made you extra excited when 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 you got the po- Pokemon you wanted, uh, and then extra stressed trying to catch him, making sure you don't kill him, <laughs> so <laughs> so that you don't have to go on that search grind again. Um, and yeah, and then kind of. Again, with the gacha system, I guess Pokeballs, uh, they're, they're gacha balls, similar design, you know, to just balls from a gacha machine. So I guess oh, yeah. there is that overlap. Yeah. More literally on that sense. Um, so yeah, and then Shinies. Um, also, Evolutions is, uh, is a great mystery in, in the Pokemon games. You, it doesn't... It doesn't tell you whether a Pokemon has an evolution, whether it's going to evolve, unless you look it up. Um, and so there is that, again, the anticipation and the reveal of when you're training your Pokemon, is he going to evolve? Um, do, I, do I keep putting my resources in this guy? Do I? And then sometimes you find the evolution out in the wild. That's especially kind of re- rejoiceful if, if you come across a Pokemon that's an evolution of another Pokemon. That's even rarer, so... 
there is there is a lot of rarities in play similar to gacha games as to which pokemons pop up um and then the whole gotta catch them all uh element of it uh in gacha games as well a big thing where you try and complete your whole collection of a certain of a certain type or um just being able to show off all the all the things you have is very much a big thing in Pokemon games, you it's very much a collect-a-thon where you're trying to catch them all. If you have completed your Pokedex, you get kind of explicit voice lines in the games and, and some extra fanfare out of it, um, as well as just being able to show off how... The whole Pokedex thing is a great way to kind of just show off with your friends how many Pokemon you found, and when you've found a rare one, being able to hone in on that one and, and show it off. It reminds me of like sticker books, right? Or like a stamp yeah. collection. Collecting anything really. And yeah, of having sure. a binder full of those things that you can just show people. Look at all the different things. Yeah, I used to have these uh these World Cup uh player sticker books as well. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is a very similar kind of thing where you buy these card packs and then and then there's stickers in there and then sometimes you get one you don't have. Mm. And then trade the other ones. Oh related to real world things. Uh, so yeah, the collectibleness, big big appeal, being able to show off your collection. Um, trade as well, especially in the early games, there was, as you said, the link, as we talked about earlier. Uh, having having a Pokemon that one of your friends doesn't have and you can kind of um, barter for a good deal <laughs> in exchange. <laughs> Try and maybe you can give these two for my this guy, trade them off. Um, also, some Pokemon only evolved through trade. Um, I don't know if that was in the very original games, but especially also in also in the later games, there is. I'm pretty sure there are also in the original games. There was the Matchup. Third evolution of Matchup requires a trade, and oh. um, Gengar. You can also only get Gengar through trading Haunter. I believe. For examples. Yeah, yeah. I know there were some pokemon or maybe this was just true for all of them when you traded they also gained more experience oh yeah that's true they, that's they true. level up faster that's yeah. it yeah how that did you side question i suppose because this is now simultaneously a way of um psychologically interrogating your pokemon history I suppose. <laughs> uh, how did you level up your pokemon were you kind of the balance spread or did you make the death star and like one pokemon was defeating anything and the rest were kind of weaklings uh, I, I tried to balance it out for sure. Um, I was definitely focusing on putting... If I really wanted the evolution of a certain Pokemon, I would definitely put him first in my party. And then if he's not strong enough for something, I'd swap him out straight away, but he'd get he'd get a good chunk share of, of that fight because, because he was in it. Um, but yeah, I definitely tried to kind of balance out my whole party so I had a, a strong all-around party. Although, uh, as we'll discuss in the in a later bit, it's usually <laughs> usually more effort than it's worth. <laughs> we'll get there. How about yourself? Did you? Yeah, the same. The same. Yeah. I'm I'm like that pretty much with all RPGs, though. Like yeah, yeah. my Final Fantasy history, anything basically. I just like to evenly spread the love and the experience and make yeah, sure satisfying. that should anything happen i don't know maybe it's just risk aversion i'm just like if i have to do without yeah, yeah. any one person i'm relying on can the <laughs> others hold the line yeah for sure i get that um and then 
yeah, so on, some evolutions only happen with trade, and then also a final part of the kind of mystery of it all, uh, you also don't know in combat what the enemy is going to send out until they do. You kind of like see how many Pokemon they have in their inventory, but then you don't know who they are uh, until they send it out. So it's also kind of playing on the mystery in the similar kind of fashion that Pokemon are revealed out in the wild through battling, but we'll dive deeper into that later on. Mm-hmm. Moving on. To bit number two. Let's. Remarkable. <laughs> Bravo, that was excellent. Bit number two. Is about becoming a Pokemon master. Now, there was one thing that stuck out above all others to me when I considered what the hell we talk about <laughs> when we looked at <laughs> classic Pokemon. And I want to know your thoughts on this, Oliver, when I'm through with this spiel. Uh, but it's this idea of the collectible as both a narrative and mechanic device. Mm-hmm. So really, the sort of pitch here is that Pokemon, as a thing that you collect, and the the creatures in the game are both uh, representative of story progression, uh, as well as an evolving skill tree. So the character that you you know your avatar that represents you in the game is not just a kid in this world and the story, but is also mechanically speaking an assembly of the Pokemon that you choose. And the Pokemon you change, because maybe not even your starter Pokemon stays with you throughout most of the game, but mm-hmm. essentially you can change to whatever Pokemon tickles your fancy. You've only got six, right, that you can carry with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's two parts of this observation which I'm going to lay out here, and we can you know, check how we feel about it. Uh, one, the the story of collecting Pokemon to further the narrative, so that's exploring, filling out the Pokedex, that sort of stuff, is simultaneously in addition to that, presenting the player with an ever-evolving skill tree that you might find in a conventional RPG. So consider that every Pokemon is like holding a different weapon when you're battling, right? Are you going to bring a knife to this gunfight, for example? (laughs) And as Oliver has mentioned, we'll get to the combat system later. The point here for at least the the first part of this two-prong observation is that choosing which Pokemon you level up, whether you evolve them or not, uh, and which moves they learn is an interesting way to handle, I think, what we see as character skill trees elsewhere in other games. I know we've got that excellent subversion of the HMs and the TMs. What do they stand for again? Technical Machine is the TM. What does HM stand for? Oof, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know now if you know while you're listening to this. This is like a quick Pokemon quiz. Um, but those things, I thought, subvert uh, this idea slightly by allowing the player an alternative means of learning or using structured skills, right? So as opposed to your Pokemon are the skill mm. and what they can learn is what you can do. Uh, these TM and HM give you a little bit more control of saying, well, I want to be able to do this thing. So this Pokemon now can do this one-use thing if it's a TM or it's a critical story skill milestone in an HM. So that's the first part of, of this observation of uh, the collectible as narrative and mechanic that helps you become, in inverted commas here, Pokemon master. <laughs> and the second part of this observation is one that I probably will hand over to Oliver to comment more on this, is this idea of the, the micro choices in the gameplay that then make for a personal and personalized journey uh, that at least to me 
felt unique when I played it. And every time I talk to someone, they have an entirely unique experience. Because I guess at the time of these games, there were 151 of these lovely, crazy, magical creatures. And you could, you know, collect them or at least use them for the purpose of the story and the combat in any combination. So mm-hmm. it likely is going to be very different. So I hand over to you, Oliver, to comment a bit more on that. Yeah, so I think what makes it's it's an interesting one because Pokemon, especially the classics, are such a are very much a linear experience in the way in the way you kind of go through it. You went you went from town to time, gym to gym, uh, and then until you kind of reach the climax of the of the Elite Four uh, and become the the Pokemon Master, and it's that whole journey which everyone. All the players go through all the same. But because of those kind of micro decisions that you have throughout, like from the get-go, uh, there's like the main the main ones are related to the Pokemon. So choose your starter Pokemon, whatever you pick. Um, like it immediately sets off on like it feels like your own choice. And be- especially because you have three. If you have two, I feel like it wouldn't be as impactful. <laughs> yeah, but three sure. is like... There's three different elements. It's quite a big. It has quite a big knock-on impact on, uh, on the elements you'll be fighting later on and stuff like that. So, uh, the the one you you pick your favorite immediately feels like yours because you had, uh, a relatively broad multiple choice there. And then from there, you immediately have kind of your own inventory there, your own weapons, which are the Pokemon, and then from there you kind of choose what you catch along the way you choose what you you choose which pokemon you're interested in which you want to catch which you want to collect which you want to actually put in your party or which you just want to store you can choose nicknames for the pokemon it's such a small thing but oh yeah it makes you attached yeah it could make you attached to specific ones and perhaps keep them in your party because that's that one has a funny name and and i thought about it for so long and it's so great um <laughs> did you name all of your pokemon <laughs> no i never used the nicknames but i know people, i know people get super into that stuff um you can choose who you fight you don't have to fight all the trainers on the path except the actual gym leaders you can often avoid some so that's again part of like your decision making and how you go about it do you go super aggressive with training or do you mostly just focus on battling pokemon in the wild to level up or using items and such like that um also you choose who you train in your party you can again as we discussed you can reshuffle your your um your party to choose who goes in front and who you want to level up the most um choose who you evolve you can cancel evolutions if you if you prefer the current state they're in uh so all these small decisions kind of lead to your own set of of weapons as you said and and your own experience your own version of the story that that's driven through these pokemon and And you can also i think also an interesting thing is walking around and talking to people in the towns Mm -hmm. because there is so many little npcs dotted around houses and stuff that you don't you'd never really need to talk to but you can Mm. and so it's kind of your own decision to learn about to kind of dive a little bit deeper into what's going on in this town and and learn about 
what the elderly are up to and such. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hello, new town. I would like to know what your elderly are up to at this present moment. Well, it is often like some old couple in a house or something. And and then you're like, okay, that's interesting. The thing I was going to say earlier about that. It's very much role playing, right? That's that's like, it's the role playing game. A role playing game, but then with like such minimal effects from these dialogues that it's very much in in your own head and kind of like your story that you choose to tackle as you yeah. do yeah um so yeah talk to whoever you like um and then i think what kind of wraps this all into a personalized experience very interestingly is that there isn't actually much personalization when it comes to the character um i think there's only a few preset styles for the character did the fir- did the original games even have those I think so, right? I would. You mean being able like to change with how it? they look? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was preset. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there was a couple of presets, and then you pick from those. But there is no way to kind of make them look like you, especially or anything like that. It's it's like a few preset options, and then you choose that one. Yeah, it's not super personal there. Uh, and then you kind of choose your name on top of that, and also your your enemy, your nemesis. I was name. hoping you would bring up the rival. Yeah, so you choose your rival's name, your name, and then such small things, but then that immediately has quite a strong effect how it then appears, like the names you chose appear in dialogue and stuff. Yeah. And then I, it's like, oh, <laughs> Jacob in, has reappeared. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, ooh, that reminds me of the bully in school. <laughs> exactly, I, exactly. I, I love that, A, and B, can appreciate that probably the majority of kids who played it gave the rival a very foolish, silly name. Yeah. Like <laughs> Stinky Feet or something. <laughs> just just to be funny. Uh, but when I was replaying Pokemon Blue a little bit in preparation for this, I was <laughs> bemused by the way they introduce you uh, giving the name of your rival. It's like Professor Oak is like, what is my grandchild's name again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I like that. That is true. But yeah, it's so great. So, so that, and then also your rival that you gave the name. So you gave the rival a name you chose. So he's immediately kind of like you're the enemy you you kind of created, even though he looks the same on every game. Um, and then your rival takes the op- opposite element Pokemon to the one you pick yeah. in the starter Pokemon. So immediately that has a big knock-on effect of, of your journey. And, and he's always going to be kind of your direct rival in in the elemental sense of the combat um and then yeah and i guess finally the last thing on that is also your character never speaks and only gets spoken to which is probably also part of kind of your journey and how much you get invested with because you're the one that's on the other side of the dialogue um on the other side of the screen kind of interpreting uh the conversation being spoken to you rather than the back and forth now i quite like that i'm really glad you raised that point because i think it brings at least me personally back full circle to the very first thing uh which is saying in this game you communicate through your pokemon right through your actions through what you choose to do with them which i think is really interesting it's like you know give someone a hammer and the world is a nail right 
it's the only <laughs> way they can communicate is like, cool, you haven't given me a means to choose dialogue or speak or anything. Uh, so I communicate through what I do with my Pokemon. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like that. Yeah. But yeah, for, so that whole thing in comparison, it's kind of striking that it feels like such a unique experience for every player because of how linear it is. And where more modern RPGs and such will focus largely on like super detailed character customization and so so you can make it look like your character um but then often don't strike true to how much of a personal experience the game actually ends up being so it's quite interesting how these micro decisions then feed into has such a big knock-on effect to the whole game very interesting what a bit what a bit wow Gotta recover from that. One. Thank you so much, Oliver, <laughs> for uh, for adding that. I really enjoyed that, and I'm thoroughly enjoying this. So, are you happy to proceed to bit number three? Indeed. Bit number three is rock paper scissors, the classic Pokemon influence. So, here we're talking about the um, staple elemental combat system that Pokemon designed. Um, which was, you've got the kind of, at its most basic, it's like grass against fire against water, which is what the starter Pokemon are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fire beats grass, grass beats water, but uh, but water beats fire. And yes, we covered them all. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've come full circle. <laughs> but then the other way around, if fire attacks water, that's a weak attack, and um, so yeah. So you, your, the damage you do gets multiplied, um, I believe, times two. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're when you're when your attack is super effective, as they will kind of call out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so glad that this reminds me of all the times you have ever said super effective. <laughs> anyone listening to this right now, go listen to all of the episodes previously and find where Oliver has used that phrase. Beautiful. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the combat kind of calls out super effective when you get that um, perfect elemental matchup with your your attack, your attack's element against uh, the element of the enemy character. And then also uh, when it's weak, you'll get uh, it. It was not very effective or something like that. Um, it's like something dot dot dot, and it's it, and it's along the lines of it wasn't very effective. Um, and then, but then also you can have because there's a bunch of elements. There is there's also um, there's a ghost type, there's poison type, there's fairy type, there's um, dark type, normal type, flying type, um, rock, stone, uh, steel. <laughs> I'm loving the I'm way gonna, this is being listed. Imagine, I think we've almost got them all. There. Psychic. Did you say psychic? Psychic, yeah. yeah. There we go. I think that we got them all. Well done. That must have been them all. Ice. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we was... Oh, ice was definitely in Pokemon Silver when I played it. But was it in the OG Pokemon Red? Ooh, I'm not sure. I think so. I don't know if they added elements later on. Maybe. I feel... Okay, I don't know if this is true. I haven't... Strangely, I have not done this level of research, but <laughs> I feel like they have added more element types have they not they might have done it it would seem like a logical path forward especially from 
the base of the first few games. Mm. But I'm not sure. Can't confirm. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Anyway, so you got the, all these matchups, and it's kind of all... A lot of those are kind of based on natural instincts, especially fire, grass, water, of what you expect to be strong against the other. And it's the kind of fun of that is also that you can't... Um, it kind of strips down the combat of a usual turn-based RPG system, especially the ones at the time, which would have been, for example, Final Fantasy, um, into a much more accessible experience, which is the reason why I guess it's attracted so much more of a broader audience of all ages to the Pokemon franchise. Um, so especially also because most battles are one-on-one, uh, sometimes you'll have battles of two against two if you're if you're paired up with with someone in the narrative or something but uh, i don't know if those were in the first first games i do not recall that happening but uh but yeah so most of the time you'll be one on one which makes it very very simple you're it's it's rock paper scissors this this character against that character um and then you presented with four basic options in a fight you'll have battle uh, swap, which you swap with another Pokemon in your party. You have item, use an item on your Pokemon, or you run from the battle. But uh, that was only that only works in battling Pokemon in the wild. So during a battle, you really only have three options, which even narrows that down further. And then, so the interesting thing about that set of of paths forward is that it kind of allows super casual players to break it down into just a rock paper scissors system i need to attack this pokemon and it's it's clearly a fire pokemon because there's fire coming out of his tail um <laughs> i can i can use this water attack that this this character has on him or i can use a normal attack and have no signet have just a kind of default damage on that um and basically whittle down the enemy that way the main thing avoiding that the element of the enemy pokemon is stronger is counter to the element that your that your Pokemon is because they'll attacks their attacks will be super effective and might knock you out instantaneously. Right. Uh, and then, but then the more in depth players might decide to grow, do things like grow berries and kind of farm the berries, let Pokemon hold berries, um, also let Pokemon hold items, buy bespoke items from the store, use the items you found along the way uh, to kind of upgrade their little bits like critical hits and uh, how fast they attack in a battle. Um, then you can also upgrade Pokemon's stats with certain items, use heals and revives, catch the Pokemon with the best base stats. I think, I don't know if that was the case in the original games, but there were, but in the more recent games, uh, I do know they, depending on which Pokemon each kind of Pokemon you meet in the wild will have slightly varied stats, and so you, you might kind of focus on finding the one with the best base stats to build off, which is uh, what oh. the pro players do. <laughs> the pro players! Um, so yeah, so there is that depth. But at its most basic, again, it's rock, paper, scissors, battle of the elements. Um, you avoid what the enemy has, and you try to counter that. Um, the kind of fun of that is... Um, partly due to you don't know what element the enemy is, especially in the first. Uh, yeah, you don't know what the opponent's element is. You kind of have to deduct it from the designs, but the designs are often 
giving away a sense of what element it might be like for example muck um or uh muck is like a purple slimy dude so you can imagine is is poison because poison is also colored purple um and then also for example ghastly is a ghost pokemon and he's all he's all kind of spirit looking so you can make that um you can make that comparison and and it's it's a little bit of puzzle solving which is a little bit satisfying but at a very basic at a basic level that it doesn't frustrate you to figure out the Pokemon. Although I do find in like the more recent I think Gen 1 and 2 did a good job at making like pretty obvious what each Pokemon is. Yeah. But the more recent Pokemon, I I most of the time I have no idea what I'm looking Yeah, at. yeah, I haven't I will be honest, I haven't kept tabs with the more recent things, but yeah. I was a little bit put off by the Pokemon that looked like a chandelier, and I can yeah. only assume it is maybe fire related. <laughs> Yeah, they've gone a bit crazy with it, and also they've they have like dual they have like dual elemental properties now. So you'll have a ghost ant flying type or something. I remember that in Pokemon Silver. I oh, they also had this. Yeah, the, the flying steel bird. I forget the name of was one of my top uh, enemies because steel felt overpowered for some reason in Pokemon mm. Silver. I don't think that was the case, but it felt like that to me. And I remember having a steel bird, so it could fly, but also had strong steel attacks. Was awesome. But on the topic uh, of discussion, obviously, the one thing I thought was always surprising be that me as a player doing, or or as a Pokemon trainer in the game, or someone doing it to me, was when you see a Pokemon that is clearly X element, and then they Mm -hmm. do a specific move they have learned that is not that. How did you find that? I thought that was great. Shock. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Plot twist. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's really cool. I think it's, it's... And it it doesn't necessarily frustrate because you technically should still have the upper hand advantage of the general element that that Pokemon is. Like mm. you'll have the countering ability um, if you're playing it right. But then, but then then kind of coming out of the woodworks with a surprise attack, which is also effective against you, is kind of an exciting sort of clash of clash of titans, which is which kind of switches up the the expectation and and adds a bit to the the surprise of the the combat which is fun love it hey i have a question one last question um yeah, i've given you like sort of more or less one for each bit uh, <laughs> but this one do you know what nuzlocke is uh no i'm not sure apparently there is a, a way that some people play pokemon it's called the nuzlocke challenge it's a fan-made rule so players mm-hmm. intentionally release their Pokemon after they've been defeated in battle as if they've died instead of just fainted. Oh, wow. Have okay. you heard of this? No. <laughs> it's, it's like an extra challenge to play in the game. I, I wondered if you'd ever uh, engaged with it yourself or, or wondered how that just increases the challenge of this rock, paper, scissors kind of strategy game. Yeah, that's super weird. I can't imagine just letting go of this Pokemon I trained for so long. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I know With there's a whole... Hours into the sky... Goodbye. There's a discussion to be had about the fainting and you know you're making these lovely sweet creatures fight and everything, but that's not the purpose of this yeah, of uh, course, of design course. chat. But was there anything else you wanted to mention for the rock paper scissors bit? Yeah, I wanted to dive a little bit more in a few other kind of accessibility, um, kind of like uh, casual elements that make the, the the combat so accessible in these games. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them being uh, that again on the rock paper scissors system, the so. 
often you don't know what um, trainers are going to play, which Pokemon they have in their inventory. But then kind of for the, the main goals of the game, which are the gyms and the Elite Four, you do get told and kind of indicated through the design of the gyms and such what types of Pokemon you'll be against. So you can prepare more effectively uh, your party that you'll be gearing up with to counter that type and that makes kind of it's quite a nice uh, uh, distinction to have the gyms be almost casualized in that way so that you can so that the players with the most basic knowledge can just go to them and complete kind of the main beats of the story which is defeating those gyms by just gearing up against the type that they need to counter directly at those gyms and then the trainers out in the wild, they, they're a bit more mysterious and the more kind of interested players, the more hardcore players that want to dive a little bit deeper into combat systems and such can decide to fight, attack more of those trainers out in the wild, go on more of those um, side paths to, to get a bit more of that mystery and, and a bit more thrill in the combat of, of not knowing what's coming next. Also, when the Pokemon level, when the Pokemons level up, they get better moves, and then uh, from time to time, and then you choose whether to take that move and add it to the move list of that Pokemon or leave it, um, which is a super. I've also found a super kind of accessible, casual system of the usual kind of skill points or skill trees systems, or going to a shop to buy better armor with loot you got and things like that, like in games like Final Fantasy and such. Um, you just kind of get presented with, you get this new upgrade because your Pokemon leveled up. Do you take it or leave it? You see how much power it does. This does more, po more power than this one of the same type, so I might as well swap those out. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and then the game is also linear, so it will ensure you're always leveled up enough and prepared for the next challenge, the next gym challenge, the next kind of trainers you meet along the way the the levels scale by gym by gym and kind of along the linear journey through the map which uh which again casualizes the experience for players to always be at the right it's it's very much designed so that player so that the designers know what level players are expected to be at when they reach certain points uh, and they kind of walk you through that experience quite quite easily and then the drawback of all this is, of course, that it's quite easy for players seeking a challenge. Um, they usually, like, I find that in a lot of Pokemon games, I'm able to stomp enemies with a single well-rounded Pokemon. Sure. With, a, a, with a couple, with four different elemental moves. Um, even against kind of elements that are counter to my elements, I might be able to beat that element if my Pokemon is a higher level and I attack first or something. I might take him out. Um, and so the main challenge for those people is mainly in the PvP because the the kind of the very much uh, painstakingly designed linear system of the games and and the combat system that's allowing for these casual players is does make it quite predictable and easy to to um, to get over the and challenge. Big communities of I don't want to say esports is it, but for Pokemon PvP battling, isn't there? Yeah, for sure. There is there is a huge community and and there is a lot of like communities that that 
ask people if they want to fight and kind of go up against each other and trade and things like that. Interesting. It's a lot of tournaments as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then finally, uh, the linearity again uh, on that same note means there is no way to skip ahead for a tougher fight. In the more recent Pokemon games, they've gone a bit more open world to kind of counter this, which is quite nice. You can, you can, uh, for example, Scarlet Violet, you can go to a harder gym, uh, for example, the Ice Gym or something, as the first thing you want to do, if you like. Um, despite, or or you can kind of go to the more uh, indicated, the more nearby gyms, which are uh, catered to the lower levels, for example. So, but in these linear games, you're very much following the designer's path and it's and it's uh, always curate, curated to the level you're at. So if you're looking for to skip ahead for a tougher challenge, that's not possible in these. And then the main challenge guesswork, again, is just guessing what the other enemy type is. But that, as I discussed, was is not so much the challenge in gyms and the Elite Four. Yes, that is Rock, Paper, Scissors. Beautiful, gorgeous. It has inspired a lot of games afterwards. And I still uh, refer to it a lot when I'm designing things. Oh, yeah. Combat systems. Yeah, quintessential. It's like, it's the foundation for all good things, yeah? Yeah, beautiful. Astounding. And that was in-depth. Oliver, thank you so <laughs> much for sharing uh, your love, passion, and insight of Pokemon. Beautiful. Today. My Charmander behind me is loving it. Yeah! <laughs> oh. uh, and that brings us to the end of today's episode. A bumper episode, nearly an hour long. Yeah, it's uh, a chonky. <laughs> It's, it's several games. It's several games. That's true. That's true. Uh, in our defense, hopefully, if you've stuck with us all the way to the end, you did enjoy this. Thank you very much for doing so. Um, it is that moment before we say goodbye and sign off and, and tell you how to get a hold of us, where I very quickly and briefly need to ask Oliver what else might be interesting that he's playing at this present time. At this present time, <laughs> I... Um... I interestingly I played a demo of uh a newly announced game during the recent slew of game announcements uh called Blaze Ball Beast Ball Beast Ball I think it's called <laughs> How um, many beasts are in that name? <laughs> Just Beast Ball. Just Beast Ball. I have not heard of this thing. Is it cool? Does it seem interesting? Uh, uh... As he searches frantically. As I quickly search, whether it's <laughs> Beastie Ball, there we go. That's Beastie Ball. <laughs> Beastie Ball, yeah. And it's interestingly, uh, I played the demo of that. It's like a blend of Pokemon, very on topic, with uh, kind of Pokemon playing volleyball. Ah, interesting. Um, which is quite cool. It kind of, it's, it's, it's doing a lot of the stuff that people love about Pokemon and, has, and it has a lot of kind of Pokemon that you can Pokemon-like creatures that you can collect and evolve and such, but combined with a more interesting, I guess, combat system based on on volleyball and sports, which is quite cool. Remarkable. Always a font of new information. Beautiful release. (laughs) Well, as it so happens, I too have been playing a demo most recently, and maybe similarly also, it is in the RPG field. Mm -hmm. Um, I am enamored with the Final Fantasy 16 demo. Ooh. As we've mentioned before, I'm a bit of a Final Fantasy fan. Um, I played the first five on and off, like not too much of them because I was emulating them at the time. Uh, but six through to probably 13. I didn't. I played a bit of 15, but not a lot. Um, 
but 16 I'm very excited for and that demo is is excellent I'm, I'm hooked I'm already super keen so excited oh, yeah. to see the full game at the time of recording it's not yet out yeah I heard I heard really good things about the demo and I think it saves your progress as well when you buy yes I believe you can carry over which is what I intend to do <laughs> yeah. very nice I shall check it out cool that is the end of this three bit design episode Oliver where can people get a hold of us should they wish Find us at 3BitDesign and feel free to send us uh, how you feel about the Pokemon games. We'd love to hear some of your stories. Yes, we really would. That would be lovely. Uh, That is it. We are concluded. And for now, we wish you a great time of your lives. Go jump around in the long grass and find some Pokemon. Have an (laughs) excellent uh, day as well, Oliver, and I'll see you soon. Adios. Bye. Bye.